If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Carlos. Now, Carlos, it's going to be a bit of a tongue twister. It's Tabernaberry. Is that right? Well said. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> yes. All right. How are you anyway? Good. Thank you, Ben. How are you? Oh, very good. Very good. Now, Carlos, to introduce you, before we even ask you if you have a favourite quote or anything else, I've just got a bit of information here that I'm going to read. So, as a trainer and educator, my focus is on the horses and people whom I work and helping them to achieve their full potential. We shouldn't be divided by discipline. We should be united by good horsemanship. I truly believe there's no such thing as natural horsemanship. There's simply good horsemanship. Any good horsemanship is about consistently considering the horse's well-being first and foremost. I think that's a great lot of information about you. I don't know if you call that a quote or not, or if you've got another quote that you'd like to tell us about. Ah, uh, this. Probably one of the many quotes that I give people, mm-hmm. and um, I see there, there seems to be a little bit of um, sort of separation, uh, in, you know, in different disciplines, and then people comparing, you know, different disciplines to others. But I think that's what I would say that you know I'm, I'm sort of very fortunate that I get to work with people from all different backgrounds, all different disciplines, and I yeah. would say that we should be united a little bit more. Uh, for the sake of the horse, in good horsemanship, and good horsemanship is pretty much putting the horse first and the welfare of the horse. And I think, regardless of the choice and discipline you do, is that um, we can all have a common goal towards uh, good horsemanship. Yes. Yes. Okay. No, I think that explains it, and I think what you've said there, just explaining about yourself, is is good. You know, and it is. It's good horsemanship, and uh, we should be united. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Now, you were born in Argentina. Is that right? Tell us just briefly what you did in Argentina. What made you – you had a little bit of a change in thought, change in thought of the way that that horses were trained to bring you to where you are today. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. So I'm – people that read my book might be familiar. I'm a fourth-generation horseman, and I always said that, you know, I always felt – that I had learned, didn't learn anything, even though a lot of things are passed down and traditions are passed down to you. Um, but I grew up watching the traditional way of horse, as, a, as you know, I don't like the word, but the horse breaking and the way of uh, handling horses. I mean, horses are used to, uh, for work to this day in Argentina, especially with cattle. And I always say the traditions, I've learned the traditions don't make things right, just because if a tradition doesn't necessarily mean that is, is the right thing to do, even though we can draw a lot of great things from tradition. So I grew up seeing from my back fence, uh, I, we actually lived behind the, one of the Argentinian horse cultural centers where they mm-hmm. just have break horses every, every weekend and every week. And, and just the cruelty that I was exposed to, I just, it used to break my heart. And I remember once these festivities were over, walking to the horses, um, 
past the fence and just trying to touch the horses, but these horses were really afraid. And I, I made a promise very young, and I said, if I ever touch a horse, I, I make sure I speak on their behalf. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I didn't follow tradition, you know, and I, and I tried. I'm self-taught or horse-taught, as I better like to say. Yeah. And just that I was going to do pretty much the opposite of what I've seen, and I let the horse be the teacher, and I was the student. So that's how it all came about, sort of, that, that I'm so I'm big into the gentleness of training. And I believe that, you know, if you're gentle with horses, it's a strength, it's not a weakness. And I think that people might think sometimes that if you're gentle with horses, they're going to walk all over you, but it's further from the truth. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, in essence, I didn't follow the traditions of where I grew up. I draw, I kept a lot of great things, a lot of the, a lot of the classical stuff and that is Spanish French influence, and yep. I apply that to my training, but not the way horses would handle. Okay, okay. And then um, working professionally with horses, is that your way then of being able to let the horse be the teacher so you can be the student and being able to have your voice in the world so you can speak on behalf of the horse? Is that what led you to that career with horses? One hundred. Yeah, so yeah. what happened was I, I, made a, I made a promise, like I said, I said it's almost like a, a moral contract with horses, and yes. I said that I would I would speak up on behalf of the horse. And then the horse training, as a kid, if someone asked me, "Do you want to grow up and train horses?" I always said, "There's nothing to teach a horse." You know, I mean, the horse is born knowing everything. So I just want to be a voice rather than than a trainer. I think training training horses is a bad okay. word. It's more like okay. I would say try not to get in the way so much. You know. Yeah. 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 So for people, because you, you teach a lot of students, and what sort of personality is going to be the best student when the horse is the teacher? You know, what sort of things should we be in ourselves to be open to that sort of learning? I think I think what we have to do is, um, and the approach that I always have, that's where everything, like I said, that I publish is pretty much called yep. through the eyes of the horse, not through the eyes of Carlos or anything. So yep. I think it's putting ourselves from the point of view where the horse sees things and where the horse is coming from and um, going to the horse with an empty cup and and, and 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 not having ego, obviously. You know, I mean, that's probably the biggest roadblock between horses and people is, um, I say, horses don't read resumes, you know, and yes. a lot of times we can go to the horse and say, well, you know, I trained in the Spanish riding school or I did this and that, I went to the Olympics or whatever it might be, but horses don't Google my name or anyone's name, you know, mm, they're not mm, interested sure. on the charts, you know, they are in the moment as we know, and they, it is that approach that we have, and if I think we approach from the point of view of the horse, with an empty cup and not having a resume or an ego, I think, I think that's how we can make progress with horses, regardless of your, you know, sort of personalities people or horses might have, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about horses? You know, was there a particular horse that you remembered when you made that moral contract or was it just horses in general and have there been horses since then that you think have have really influenced you and really helped you along the ways you know to get your training technique and just to refine your skills yeah i think that moral contract was early like to, mm-hmm. to all the horses and especially the ones that I, I was seeing but um there are many horses that actually probably shaped 
the person that I am today, not only as a horseman, but as a, but as a you know, outside horses as well. Yeah. Um, one was my beautiful quarter horse mate that I had for about 17 years. And uh, I went to buy a colt and ended up seeing this horse and she was turned crazy. And I said, oh, that's a crazy chestnut horse, you know. And, <laughs> and of course, I ended up buying that horse. And uh, for about nine months straight, that horse was almost pretty much trying to kill me out of fear, not out of aggression. But And then one Sunday morning, I'll never forget, I just, put my hands around the horse's neck and I said, I just ran out of ideas. You know, you got to help me out here. And mm, I'm looking for mm. a bit of a change. And, and the horse made that beautiful, subtle change that he gave me hope that every horse, you know, regardless of where they start, they can have a better future. So, yeah. um, and another horse is um, a, a Brumby Mare, Spinifex, um, where she's from Central Australia and a good friend, we became friends as a result with, uh, Angie and Chris, and they had this mare that they were working at a stage shop up in the Northern Territory. It was a seven-year-old mare that got into a fence, and she was just creating havoc in the in the station there, chasing tourists that were coming out on camels and aggressive to the other horses. So I was called to come and see what I could do, and this mm-hmm. horse probably was the most aggressive horse that I ever worked, and now has to be one of the quietest, most beautiful horses around. So um, I think these two horses in particular um, really uh, made me polish my horsemanship and um, just told me never, you know, don't give up. You know, that is always, yeah. you know, hope. There's also for better things, but we have to approach that with some skill, of course. With spin effects. You know, when I mean, you're coming up to a property, and you know, you're you're being asked to come out as the expert, and you've got this horse chasing tourists and chasing the camels, and and being, you know, just a problem to the people in the area. What did you do? You know, what was your progress through? You know, the communication that you had with her. Well, how did it all start when you first saw her? What did you think? And and tell us a little bit about what you did to communicate with her and, and get her to be a better horse. Um, I think she was already a better horse. I think it would, she had had the experience of having not so good people around her at the time, you know, and mm. then they tried to put her in a camel pen and then that didn't work out too well. So I ended up getting another horse and coming to a yard and then she followed pretty aggressively this horse into the yard and then mm-hmm. I removed that other horse and then it was herself and myself in a big sort of round pen and then... Um, all that I always wanted to do. So I pinned the issue. was very stallion-like and tried to charge at me with his, you know, sort of arching her neck and it, his back. And then she would turn around and kick. And all I could do is pretty much for the first hour that I worked with that horse was trying to, besides a lot of playing, you know, I was mm. <laughs> moving around a fair bit just to not, to show her that I wasn't there to get her or I wasn't aggressive and let her display what she had to display and then try to approach her with confidence and, and just and, and just make sure that the horse just. Um, I, I wanted to let the horse know that I wasn't there to demand anything. I wanted to help the horse, and I think the only way we could do that through the action. So I was there for four days on the first trip, and I managed just to that she would allow me to touch her, and she would turn around. So I ended up working from back to front, and I thought this horse could just double barrel me at any time, but allow me to touch her, and then make my way to the neck, and then mm-hmm. on the. Um, manages to pat and I left her and then I did another three trips yep. up to the Northern Territory of four days on the second trip um, I halted the horse for the first time and I did the first leading lesson and then I tried to handle her feet and the next one after that was I started her on the saddle so mm-hmm. um, I do all the work back first and then put the saddle so by the fourth trip I was um, 
uh, riding the horse there in, in the outback and she made a complete turnaround. So I think she needed to know that, you know, not every human that approaches, uh, approaches the horse is uh, is there to demand or to get something out of you or to force you to do something. But, mm. um, yeah, it was it was a really beautiful experience. And to me, I mean, the horse is in Tasmania now with my friend Angie that, they moved back from the station to Tasmania, mm-hmm. and she's she, greatest satisfaction for me seeing the horse so happy, and the rider so happy, and then working together as a team, and that's that's pretty rewarding. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like just even that first trip made her into a. Um, I suppose she was a problem horse because she was a problem to the people that were in the area. You know, she was a problem to them if she was going to be chasing people. And, you know, so we talk about problem horses, but they can be problem horses if they're a problem to the person that is trying to work with them. Yeah, well, that's that's correct. And then what happened, so there was a camel that pushed the fence at the stations and then the camel, this wild camel and these two Brumby mares got in the and then they fixed the fence and they were stuck at the station even though it was a huge station but it definitely wasn't good for business because this horse was you know every time the tourists got on on the camels the horse would come out of the scrub and then just chase tourists on camels and the camels weren't happy and the people weren't happy yeah, so yeah. Um, you know there was talk of you know not by my friends there but other people saying well maybe we should shoot this horse and mm. as she came along and said well maybe I, she had been to a clinic in Tasmania a long long time ago and I couldn't remember her or anything. Of course, I get to meet a lot of people, but sure. she called me. She said, would you come? And this is a yep. horse. This is a problem. Would you come and, and mm-hmm. try and see what you can do? And that's how I ended up up there. But yep. she yep. she was definitely causing a lot of headaches for a lot of people, yes. Yes, yes. So when you go to do your clinics, what's a common problem that people have? You know, just thinking about people problems to start with, what can they do? to help improve communication with horses, to help improve their horsemanship? Because we're here as an educational tool for people that have got horses. What's a good tip that you would give people? I, th- I think that, you know, it's just to, you know, sort of, you know, we can say follow your gut feeling, you know, follow mm-hmm. your instincts as well a little bit as well, that intuition, you know. So I think if you go to clinics or lessons that um, – you know, number one, I think I, I tell people that you, know, you shouldn't go anywhere where the the horse and the person is going to walk away worse off. You know, I, yep. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people going to clinics and um, and then they come back with less confidence than, than what they went there. And I think it's our, our job as educators actually to to give people the confidence and the skills. And one of the things that I, I always say I'm big on is um, I always say knowledge is for sharing, not for keeping you know, I mean, and um, so we have to share as much as what I know um, or um, with people so they can have better communication with the horses. So biggest tip is like I say, just go listen, um, ask questions. You know, my grandfather used to say people that know how always go to people that know why. Yep. At clinics, I always give people, always give people the why, not the how. Mm-hmm. So um, if you ask someone a question and they just tell you that's because it's how, you, how it is or how you do it, I think then you just got to probably, you, you might want to keep your money in your wallet and go somewhere else where someone's going to give you a why, mm. you know, the reasons why and, and that you have to understand um, how it's going to benefit you and your horse. Yeah, yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now, have a look 
horsechats.com. And going along with the whole, you know, why, teaching people why, not how, why do you think that there is a bit of a discord with horses? What's caused the whole, you know, people not necessarily having that good communication and good partnership with their horse? What's caused that? How can we go there? How can we learn and improve from there? I think it, I think the best way to do it is just once again approach it from the horse's point of view and mm-hmm. try to educate yourself as much as you can. And I think the biggest thing that I say to one of the biggest things is I don't believe there's a problem between horse and, and human. I think there's a problem in communication and I think that communication is the biggest barrier between making progress with horses, you know. And, and number one, it's an old saying too, but it's just making sure that before we ask the question to the horse that we're not the answer that we're expecting from the horse. So a lot of times these horses ask to do something um, and then they give you a response according to the horse's interpretation and then the person might might not be what they're looking for so they put more pressure or they go to the next level or whichever step they want to call it and then they out of that pressure things tend worse rather than better. So I think the most important thing is, like I said, to approach it from the horse's point of view Know what you want out of the horse when you before you ask that question, mm-hmm. and never take the horse out of the horse. You know, just remember that it's, it's not a dog; it's just a horse, and the horse only thinks horse thoughts. Unfortunately, we sometimes approach horses thinking horse thoughts and human thoughts, and that's where the trouble begins. But I think it's just, I think it's just a barrier in communication rather than a problem. You know, I think a problem is an opportunity. So, um, just to do things better. I like what you said there, you know, about never taking the horse out of the horse and, and knowing it, you've talked about communication, knowing the answer. I think there's a whole lot of value for our listeners just in what you said there and, you know, just about approaching from the horse's point of view and thinking about why they do things. Yeah, not necessarily how. That's right. And then, you know, I know we, we sort of, you know, it's information overload for, for you know, now nowadays with technology, but... I think you still have to be develop that feel for the horse, and you know the horses are born feelers, and they they would live their days feeling the environment and everyone everything around them. So mm-hmm. I think we, uh, humans can become a little bit detached sometimes to to, to that feel with the horse, and uh, and that's what I say. Don't you know when I work with people, uh, you know, it always is a positive way, and I say don't try to take the horse out of the horse, and then I would explain their actions, perhaps you know, and. Um, and then they, they they understand how to ask the horse a little bit better, so to okay. get a better response. Okay, okay, all right. And colours, just thinking about you know training and having an open mind, everything else. What are you looking forward to now? Are you you've got anything coming up in the future? What's on your agenda for the next year or so? I'm busy all year round, which is a good thing. You know, sort of. I'm, I don't yep. put myself out there. You know, you know, I'm I'm not a mass sort of marketing guy or anything like that. So it's just word of mouth, and and um, I've got clinics coming up. I just finished, just come back from Brisbane clinics. I've got a training week in Tasmania where I go there again. I go a few times a year, yep. and uh, I train horses for a week. And then January, I'm in the US teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing clinics in the US and training horses there for the whole of January, and then Canada as well. I'm working at a dressage uh, barn, uh, doing clinics for um, some Canadian people that have attended my last. U.S. clinics, so yes. they, they've taken me to Canada as well. So mm-hmm. for the next two months, I'm away, um, and then I've got 
come back and just travel around the country, of course, doing my, uh, the clinics as well. So yeah. I'm pretty yeah. much on every state. Yeah. So. Okay, good. Now, if people would like to contact you, Carlos, how can they do that? And those details will be in horsechats.com slash Carlos Tabnaberry. But if you just go to horsechats.com and search for Carlos, I'm sure you'll find him. But just tell us, Carlos, your contact details. They can contact me through the, my website, which is uh, whisperingacres.com. Mm-hmm. And also they can look at my Facebook page or through Facebook, uh, which is Carlos Tabernaveri Horsemanship. Okay. Um, I think if, if they can't spell my name, it's a bit hard, just whisperingacres.com. Um, you can contact me through there, which is which um, it, it might be easier as well. Sure. Or just go to horsechats.com and search for yeah, Carlos. Absolutely. Yep. 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 Carlos, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Um, I think really good. I think that the whole idea of having no such thing as natural horsemanship, there's simply good horsemanship. And I think um, good horsemanship consistently considering the horse's well-being first and foremost explains a lot. You know, you're talking about your moral contract, speaking on behalf of the horse, letting the horse be the teacher so you can be the student. I think there's a really strong message there in training and we'd love to have you back again, Carlos, you know, so you can talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. I'd love to. Like I said, once again, I want to thank you for having me and I hope uh, our our conversation inspires your listeners to... um, look at horses a little bit different if they're not doing that already. So That's right. Thank That's you so right. much for having me. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, when you think about what we're doing this for is for the welfare of the horse, you know, that's sort of the main message there. Very good. Yeah. Well, I would say, like I said, I don't do this for my glory. It's just to glorify the horse. So, <laughs> for so sure. thanks for having me. For sure. Thanks, Carlos. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.